Welcome to the Academy Tech Talk. My name is Angie, and I want to welcome you to a very special episode as we re-release our 2020 Christmas Carol radio play starring Tom Fulton and the classes of 2021 and 2022. Happy Holidays from the Academy for the Performing Arts. was dead to begin with. There can be no doubt whatsoever about that. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come from the tale we are about to relate. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. <laughs> Mind, I, I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and my unhallowed hand shall not disturb it. Therefore, allow me to repeat emphatically, old Marley was dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead. Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign his sole residuary legatee, his sole friend, and his sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event. But that he was an excellent man of business, on the very day of the funeral, he solemnized the occasion with an undoubted bargain. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name above the warehouse door. There it stood for years afterward. Scrooge. And Marley. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, old Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme was on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. Once upon a time, 
of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather. The city clocks had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. Fog came pouring in through every chink and keyhole. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open that he might keep his eye on his clerk, who in a dismal little cell beyond a sort of a tank was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so much very smaller that it looked like one coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room. And so surely as the clerk came in with the shovel, the master predicted it would be necessary for them to part. Wherefore, the clerk put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself at the candle. In which effort, not being a man of strong imagination, he failed. A Merry Christmas, Uncle Ebenezer. God save you. God save me from Christmas. It's a lot of humbug. Ah, humbug. This nephew of Scrooge's had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and frost that he was all aglow. His face was ruddy and handsome. His eyes sparkled and his breath smoked again. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? <laughs> You're poor enough. Come then. What right have you to be dismal? You're rich enough. There's no such thing as rich enough. Only poor enough. Don't be cross, uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas. Out upon Merry Christmas. <laughs> What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older but not an hour richer? A time for balancing your books and having every item in them presented dead against you? <laughs> if I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding... <laughs> And buried with a stick of holly through his heart. <laughs> he should! Uncle! Nephew! You keep Christmas in your own way, and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? You don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then! Much good may it do you. <laughs> Much good has it ever done you. There are many things from which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited, I dare say. Christmas among the rest. I'm sure I've always thought of Christmas time as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year where men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good, and I say God bless it! Ear, ear! Mr. Cratchit, let me hear another sound from you, and you'll celebrate your Christmas by losing your situation. 
You're quite a powerful speaker, sir. It's a wonder you don't go into politics. Oh, now, don't be angry, uncle. Dine with me wife tomorrow. <laughs> As if you were not laboring with enough problems, you went and got yourself married. Oh, why on earth did you do that? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love. The only thing in the world more ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. Good afternoon. Nay, Uncle. But you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it as a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon. I am sorry, with all my heart, to find you so resolute. We never had any quarrel to which I have been a party. But... I have made the trial in homage to Christmas, and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So, a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon! And God save you! And to you too, Mr. Cratchit, and to your good family. You too, sir. And to your lovely wife. Oh, and Uncle! Happy New Year! Good afternoon! His nephew left the room without an angry word notwithstanding. Here's another fellow, my clerk, with 15 shillings a week and a wife and a family, talking about a merry Christmas. I'll retire to Bedlam. His nephew, the lunatic, in letting himself out, had let two other people in. They were portly gentlemen, pleasant to behold, and now stood with their hats off in Scrooge's office. They had books and papers in their hands, Bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. He died seven years ago this very night. We have no doubt his liberality is well represented by his surviving partner. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries, and hundreds of thousands are in want of common comfort, sir. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. And the union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. Still, I wish I could say they were not, sir. Oh. I was afraid, for what you had said at first, that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. <laughs> I'm very glad to hear it. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because it is a time of all others, when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. Ah, you wish to be anonymous. I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. <laughs> they cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that. But you might know it. It's not my business! It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen! Seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, 
the gentleman withdrew. Scrooge resumed his labors with an improved opinion of himself. At length, the old clock on the wall strained itself, chiming the hour of seven, the time of closing up the shop. The clerk in the tank snuffed out his candle, put his hat on, and stood expectantly before the old proprietor. Excuse me, sir. Well, it, it's seven o'clock, sir. Correct, Cratchit. Well, I don't wish to be impertinent, Mr. Scrooge, but would it be too much trouble for me to have my uh, wages, sir? And not even glancing at his clerk, he dismounted from his stool and trundled with an ill will over to the safe, which he opened, being sure to hide the combination from prying eyes. You want all day tomorrow, I suppose? If quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, and it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. And yet, you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It is only once a year, Mr. Scrooge. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Very well. Take the day. Oh, thank you, sir. But be here all the earlier next morning. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, I will, sir. Thank you very much. Oh, and, uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. Ah! There's another one. Fifteen shillings a week, a wife and five children, and still talks of a Merry Christmas. Lumbug! Scrooge locked up his office. The three sturdy deadbolts of the counting house clapped shut and echoed down the deserted street. Down the street, and with a joyous shout, the clerk, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no greatcoat, went down a slide at Cornhill at the end of a lane of boys twenty times in honor of it being Christmas Eve, and then ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play at Blind Man's Buff. In Bethlehem, in Jewelry, this blessed babe was born, and laid within a manger upon this blessed morn, the which is Mother Mary did. Scrooge took his usual melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book, he went home to bed. Fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house that it seemed as if the genius of the weather had sat in mournful meditation on his threshold. Now, it is a fact. There was nothing at all particular about the knocker on Scrooge's door, except that it was very large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in that place. Also, that Scrooge had as little of what might be called fancy about him as any man in the city of London, even including, which is a bold word, the corporation, the alderman, and the livery. Let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not 
bestowed one thought on Marley since his last mention of his seven years dead partner that afternoon. And then let any man explain to me, if he can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, without it undergoing any intermediate process of change, not a knocker, but... Molly's face? Molly's face. It was not an impenetrable shadow as the other objects in the yard were, but had a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. As Scrooge looked fixedly at this phenomenon, it was a knocker again. He said, Poof, poof. And closed it with a bang. Bug. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. He had just enough recollection of the face to desire to do that. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room. Hmm. All as they should be. The table? Nobody there. Nobody under the sofa. A small fire in the grate. In the basin ready. Nobody under the bed. Nobody in the closet. Quite satisfied, he drove home the dead bolts of his door and locked himself in. Double locked himself in. And the bottom bolt, which was not his custom, thus secured against surprise, he took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. As he lay his head back in the chair, his glance happened to rest upon a bell, a disused bell that hung in the room and communicated for some purpose now forgotten with a chamber in the highest story of the building. It was with great astonishment and with a strange inexplicable dread that as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing. It swung so softly at the outset that it scarcely made a sound. But soon it rang out loudly and so did every bell in the house. bells ceased as they begun together. They were succeeded by a clanking noise. Deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar, the cellar door flew open with a booming sound. And then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below, and then coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards his door. It's humbug still. I won't believe it. His color changed, though. Without a pause, it came on through the heavy door and passed into the room before his eyes. Upon its coming... 
The dying flame leaped up as though it cried, I know him. Molly's ghost. The same face. The very same. Marley, in his pigtail. Usual waistcoat, tights and boots. The chain he drew was clasped about his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. His body was transparent, so that Scrooge, observing him and looking through his waistcoat, could see the two buttons on his coat behind. Scrooge had often heard it said that Marley had no bowels, but he had never believed it until now. How now? What do you want with me? Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you, can you sit down? Of course I can sit down. Do it then. With an irritated grin, the ghost reached out his hand and without actually touching the chair, drew it beside him and then sat down in the thin air right next to the chair and crossed his legs, laying his hands folded formally on his knee. (laughs) You don't believe in me, do you? No, I don't. Why do you doubt the evidence of your own eyes? Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard... A crumb of cheese? A fragment of an underdone potato? That's what you are! (laughs) An old potato! (laughs) Why do you trouble me? Man of worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do, I must! But why do spirits walk the earth? And why do they come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world. What it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turned to happiness. Those chains, you are fettered. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it. Link by link, and yard by yard, I guarded it on of my own free will. And of my own free will, I. Is its pattern strange to you? It is. Oh, would you know the weight and length of a strong coil you bear yourself? It was full as heavy and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. 
Jacob, old Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Mark me. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. Oh, weary journeys lie before me. You were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Hear me. My time is nearly gone. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. A chance and hope of my procuring, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow, when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night, when the last stroke of twelve has ceased. When it had said these words, the apparition walked backward from him, and at every step it took, the window raised itself a little, so that when the specter reached it, it was wide open. Look to see me no more, and look that, for your own sake, you remember what has passed between us. Remember... And he disappeared into the winter's night. Scrooge rushed to the window and slammed it shut, then hurried to examine the door by which the ghost had entered. It was double locked, triple locked, as he had locked it with his own hands, and the bolts were undisturbed. He tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable. And being from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or the dull conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, much in need of repose, he went straight to bed, without undressing, and fell asleep upon the instant. (laughs) 